Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever felt out of place? Have you ever been somewhere and found you don't quite fit? Maybe you've been invited, but when you arrive, you just don't fit in. Maybe some social gathering with new acquaintances or a Christmas party at the new job or even that first holiday dinner with the in-laws. I mean, you've been invited, you're supposed to be there, you're even expected to be there, and yet uh, the rhythms of this place are all new to you. And you find yourself making missteps. And even though everyone is being very nice, you just can't help shake the feeling that maybe things would go a bit smoother if you weren't there. Mary and Joseph are having an experience like that in our reading today. Mary and Joseph have been forced to travel by powers outside of their control from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Not an easy journey, especially for a pregnant woman in her third trimester. I mean, if you imagine a map of Israel, you've got the Mediterranean Sea over here and Israel's here along the coast. And a bit east from the coast, you've got uh, towards the hill country, you've got the Sea of Galilee up in the north and the Jordan River flows down to the Dead Sea in the south. Well, Nazareth is up here. It's by that Sea of Galilee. This is Mary and Joseph's hometown. And Bethlehem is way down here in the south near Jerusalem, just a few miles away. This journey from north to south is a journey of around 80 miles, and it would have taken about four days or so on foot for a healthy traveler. But if Mary was at all not feeling well, and I can't imagine why that might be, it could easily take a week or more. Uh, certainly, if it had been up to them, Mary and Joseph wouldn't have made this journey at all, at least not at this time. I mean, it's hard to imagine a worse time to travel, especially by foot, than during the last couple of weeks of a pregnancy. But the Roman Empire, or the Roman Emperor, Caesar Augustus, this foreign oppressive ruler, has decided that the whole Roman Empire must be counted, probably for tax purposes, and so Mary and Joseph must walk to Bethlehem, for that is where Joseph's family has its origins. So off they go, walking this long and dangerous road to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. Perhaps if they're lucky, they have a donkey that Mary can ride on when she tires. And finally, after several days of traveling, they arrive in Bethlehem. And I imagine it must have been quite a relief at least until they started looking for a place to stay. Now, when we hear in our reading that there was no place for them at the inn, we probably imagine some kind of a larger building, maybe a couple of stories, maybe, I don't know, a few rooms, 10 maybe upstairs with some sort of, I don't know, tavern or restaurant or place to eat downstairs. But it's not very likely that that's the case. I mean, we don't know for sure, but the estimates of the population of Bethlehem at this time is around maybe 300. This is a small village. There's not a lot of people there. And it's unlikely there would have been much in the way of public lodging, especially with Jerusalem, a much larger city, just a few miles away. Also, that word that we see translated as in, it's simply the word for guest room. So maybe the image we should have is not so much of Mary and Joseph walking into this public lobby and finding out that everybody's already booked their reservations, 
but rather of Joseph going house to house, knocking on the doors of his relatives, distant though they may be, but finding that for one reason or another, none of them have space in their guest rooms for Joseph, their relative, and his pregnant fiancée. Maybe it's the shame of Mary's pregnancy out of wedlock, or perhaps it really is just that Bethlehem is really crowded, but either way, the result's the same. There is no room for them to stay. No room, that is, except for a stable. When you really think about it, especially if you think past these romantic images that are drawn by people who have clearly not spent much time in barns, there aren't many places less dignified for a baby's birth than a stable. I mean, new moms already feel enough like livestock as it is, and making this one live in a barn only adds insult to the imposition which brought them here. And as if all that weren't bad enough, it is shepherds of all people who are the first people told about this birth. Now, shepherding may have been idealized as a noble profession, but the shepherds themselves were people of low social standing. They were dirty, they were smelly, and not usually polite company. In fact, after the hard and messy work of delivering a child, I'm sure a group of shepherds fresh from the fields are about the last thing Mary is interested in seeing. But here they are anyway, telling wild stories of angels in the sky. I mean, really, as romantic and sentimental as we often are about the whole thing, it's hard to imagine a more undignified entry into the world for this long-promised Messiah. And yet the miracle of it all is that Jesus shows up anyway. There's no glory here. Just a displaced, unwed mother giving birth to her child in a place fit for animals, being visited by sheep herders with wild stories. And yet this undignified stable, into it comes Jesus, the Messiah, King of kings, Lord of lords, Son of God, Savior of the world. Into this lowest of low places comes the creator of the universe, bound and determined to rescue a world enslaved to sin and death. Here, with no fanfare those in power would take note of, God himself makes entry into the world, and things will never again be the same. You know, so often Christmas is turned into one more opportunity for us to show ourselves worthy. So often Christmas becomes our way of proving that we are good hosts, or thoughtful gift givers, or sufficiently festive decorators. So we put on our best clothes and purchase the best gifts we can afford and sometimes ones we can't afford. And we prepare our most impressive dishes or our most impressive sermons. Don't think I'm immune to this. And we do all this in order to win someone's approval or to show those nitpicking relatives, you know the ones, that we in fact do have it all together, thank you very much. Or to prove, maybe to ourselves, that we do in fact have some dignity. But in doing this, we lose sight of the fact that Jesus came into the world totally undignified. And that after he came into the world, he spent his time not with the righteous and successful, but the outcasts and sinners. 
So as you celebrate Christmas tomorrow and throughout this week, know that we worship a God who shows up in the most undignified places. That we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who does not shy away from our inadequacy, from our sin, but steps right into the muck and the mire and embraces us with his healing promise of forgiveness. Know that this Christmas we celebrate love, not love in general, but this particular love. That God so loved the world, and that includes sinners like you and like me, that he sent his only son so that we might have life that never ends. For unto you is born a Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. And this Messiah comes to you this night with a word, and that word is this. Beloved child of God, I forgive you your sins. Be at peace and rest in God's favor.